everybody. This is Sarah Anderson. I'm one of the pastors on staff at Vineyard Northwest, and I got to give the message last Sunday titled Time with God Part 2. In it, I spoke about how we should structure spending time with God, that we need to be students of God. We need to be true to our own personalities. We need to be sensitive to the season that we're in, but that our ultimate goal is pursuing a healthy relationship with God. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast. All right. Good morning. How is everybody today? Good. We are going to talk about spending time with God today. If you were here last week, Luke also talked about that topic, and we're going to continue on it this week and then next week as also. also. Um, so when we think about questions, we usually think about who, what, when, where, why, and how. Well, the who are we going to spend time with is God. Luke answered the why last week. We want to spend time with God so that we can grow in intimacy with God. And today I'm going to try to answer the how. How should we spend time with God? I'm not going to answer the what, when, or where questions for you. However, that will be up to you. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for every person that is in this room every person that might be watching online, I pray that you would move in our hearts. I pray that our hearts would be open to hear your voice, to hear your word, that we would be changed today, that we would come to understand you and know you better. Be present here, God. Be present with us. Please speak through me and open our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first value I have for you today with how we should spend time with God is that we need to be a student of God. Now, that's a phrase that people use sometimes when they talk about relationships. They say that you need to be a student of your spouse. So my husband's name is Grant, so I need to be a student of Grant. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm going to read books about Grant or take tests about Grant or anything like that because there aren't any books written about Grant. Maybe there will be one day, but that's not what I mean. It means me acknowledging that Grant is a complex human being. He has a depth of character, characteristics, and experiences, and I never am going to know everything completely, totally, perfectly about him that I need to be intentional in pursuing learning about my husband. If I'm going to really love him well, I'm gonna have an understanding that he's gonna grow and he's gonna change, and so therefore I need to be intentional about continuing to learn about him, to learn about you know, what makes him tick at this stage of life, at this season of life, that maybe is not the same as what was important to him back when we first met. I need to continue to learn about him. Now we've been married for almost 14 years, so there should be a certain level of familiarity that I should have with him. Like I should have all of the big things down by now. Like I should know that he went to UC for college. I should know that he played the French horn for 20 years. I should know that he, he loved to play soccer when he was a kid. I should already know all of those things. It's just like the small things that I need to stay in tune to. So likewise, I need to be a student of God. 
This doesn't mean that we're going to have a purely academic or a purely theological understanding of God. That's not what I'm talking about. There are plenty of people who spend their lives studying God, but they're studying the concept of God or the idea of God or sometimes even the reality of God. But just because we study God doesn't mean that we have a personal relationship with God. We need to be a student of God himself. We want to study who God is. We need to make knowing God a priority in our lives. I made a goal a couple years ago that I wanted to read through the whole Bible, cover to cover, in order. So I did that. And as I did that, it really connected a lot of dots for me about who God is. Did you know that God has a story? God has a history. He has a history of how he created us and how he has interacted with us as human beings from the dawn of time. And it's found in here. And knowing God's story, knowing the big things that have happened in God's story helped me to know him better. It enabled me to go to a deeper level of intimacy with him because I suddenly understood more of where he was coming from. Knowing the Old Testament helped me understand the magnitude of the cross. The Bible's important for knowing God, not in an academic sense, not in a theological sense, but for knowing God's story, knowing his heart, knowing the things that he's gone through. So, but the Bible's not the only way. The Bible's one key, but there are other ways. A verse in Psalm 27 says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. When we seek God's face, that speaks of knowing him personally, of having a face-to-face conversation with him, of maintaining eye contact with him, of speaking with him about things that are happening currently. I can read about how God feels about me in this book. I can read about how much he loves me, how much he sacrificed for me, how much he cares for me, how he longs to spend time with me, just like every one of you can. But what I can't read in this book is how God feels about what happened to me last week. What God feels about this current stage that I'm in in my life and what he's doing in my heart right now. This book is great. We need to be students of this book, but we also need to be students of God himself. We need to know his thoughts. We need to be in communication with him. And when we do that, when we have that intimate connection with God, it opens things up for us. It's life-giving. It's wonderful. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. When we boast about things as humans, as people, when we boast about things, we typically boast about things that we feel pretty great about, things that we've accomplished, things that we take pride in. And what do we typically boast about? The three things in this verse, having wealth, having might, having power, having wisdom. I might even add fame or success. Those are the things that we like to boast in. 
Jeremiah's point here is that those things are great. Those things are blessings that God gives us. He gives us wisdom. He gives us might. He gives us riches. Those things are great, and we're allowed to be proud of those things. But all of those things fade in comparison with understanding and knowing God. That's way better than all of these things. And when we understand him and when we know God, we're going to want to boast about it. It's that good. You can say, guess what? I know God. He's a friend of mine. I know him. In the verse, when it talks about understanding God, I think understanding God speaks more to that academic knowledge. Like you've, kind of, you've read through some things, you've thought through some things, you've gone through some hard questions, you've really processed things and you get to like an understanding of who you think God is. But then knowing God, the word used for to know God in this verse speaks of knowing something or someone personally and intimately through experiencing it. We need to make it a point in our lives that we experience God. We go through experiences with him because we're gonna know him so much better. And when we understand and know God, what are we gonna understand and know about him? That he's steadfast, that he loves, that he's just, that he's righteous, that he's better than we ever think he is. God tells us the conclusion. Hey guys, when you actually understand me and actually know me, you're gonna be blown away. This is who I am at my core. I am love, I am justice, I am righteousness. You know, sometimes I think that it can feel really boring or tedious or exhausting to think about spending time with God. Like, oh, that doesn't sound exciting. I'd rather watch a football game or Netflix in my case, more likely, or spend time with my family. And it can sound really exhausting to have to do it. But guys, we have an enemy. And we have an enemy that doesn't want us to spend time with God. Because Satan knows the power of the presence of God. So he's going to tell us, he's going to give us thoughts, oh, you don't want to spend time with God, that's boring. You don't want to spend time with God, you already know God really well, you don't really need to spend time with him. He's going to try and distract us, he's going to try and entice us away because he knows the power. Because when we spend time with God, when we are in his presence, we're changed. We are activated into our identity and into our mission to go out and change the world for the kingdom of God. Spending time with God is so vital, it's so crucial, it's life-giving, it's wonderful. Not only is it great for us, but I think it's also great for God. I think it does something to the Father's heart when his kids want to spend time with him. In Proverbs eight seventeen, it says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. The time that we spend with God isn't going to be time spent in vain. He's going to meet you. You're going to find him. If you look for him, you will find him. Jeremiah 29, 12 says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, 
and I will bring you back from captivity. You will find him, (laughs) you will. I have found that for me, part of being a student of God is stewarding prophetic words that I'm given. We have a thriving prophetic culture in this church. And so fairly often I receive a prophetic word. And if I truly view prophetic words as someone sharing God's heart for me, with me, then I need to value those words. And so what, for me, what that looks like is I listen to the words and in that moment, I try and see how that word feels. Does that word feel good? Does it feel loving? Does it feel like God sees me and God knows me? If it does, then it's probably a word from God. And so I receive the word and then I go back and I write it down in my journal. Recording it for me is very important. It shows that I value it enough to write it down and keep track of it. And then I'll go back and I'll read it and I'll look at it later and kind of say like, is this still true? Has this word come to life yet? Because sometimes words are for this season, sometimes they're for a future season. So it's good to go back and say, oh, have we gotten there yet? It's also, it reminds me a little bit of like love notes from my husband, like love letters, cards that we've given each other. I actually, in our first couple years of marriage, I went back and I took all of our notes and letters and cards that we had written while we were dating and engaged in our first year of marriage and I put them in a photo album. And so they're all there. And so we can like flip back through it. And it's fun to do that sometimes and say like, oh, look how passionate we were back then. You know, like that was really cool. And what dreams did we have for our marriage? Have we accomplished any of those dreams yet? So these prophetic words, they're kind of like love notes from God. I want to write them down. I want to keep track of them. I want to steward them well. I want to show God that I value hearing his heart for me because then he's apt to share his heart for me a little bit more, you know? So last weekend, I was not here. I was in Indianapolis. My family has gone to Indianapolis every Memorial Day weekend since my mom was pregnant with me. And so my family comes in from all over the country, like New Hampshire and Kansas and Colorado. And we come in and we all stay in my aunt's house and we swim and we eat. And then on Sunday, a bunch of us go to the Indy 500. Now I'm not normally like a race enthusiast, but the Indy 500 can be fun. And it's just part of my heritage. Like I've just grown up with Memorial Day weekend, you do the Indy 500. So this year, I was like, I don't know if I really wanna go. It's hot, it's a long day, I'm kinda tired, maybe I'll just stay home. But there was a ticket for me, so I said, well, okay, I'll go. So we left my aunt's house at 9.30, and it took us an hour to get to the track, because even though it should only take 10 to 15 minutes, but lots of traffic. We get there, we park, we walk, we don't get to our seats until about noon. And I had forgotten just how tiny of a space I was going to be allowed to occupy for the next multiple hours. And we were in the second to top row, which was good because you could see more of the track. And it was a little metal bench without a back and I had this much space. So, okay, I can do this, this is good. Go in and I'm the first one to go in our row and I've got my husband and my son Noah and then my brother and two of my nephews. And so I go in and I'm next to a gentleman who 
had liberally consumed some beverages that morning. It was very apparent. So, okay, so I sit down and snuggle in because we're really, really cozy. And then it becomes increasingly apparent that the people in front of me and the people to our left and the people behind us had also liberally consumed some beverages. And I'm not normally claustrophobic, but I started to feel this panic like rise up in me. The race hadn't even started. It was 45 minutes till the race was gonna start. And then depending on how many crashes there are, I mean, the race can take a long time. And I just started to panic. I was like, I don't know that I want to be here. I, I don't, I know I'm safe, but I'm probably not as safe as I could be. I'm surrounded by 300,000 people. I just, I, I'm not feeling this right now. And this panic just was rising. So a few weeks prior to that, I had been in Minnesota for a retreat. And my takeaway from the retreat was a three-part prophetic word that I felt like I had been given by God. And it was for me for this season of my life, and it was press in, be brave, have fun. Press in, be brave, have fun. I've had kind of a hard 2019 so far, And the Lord was just sharing with me that he wants me to just like have a little fun, (laughs) like be a little bit more lighthearted. Not everything is so serious. And so I'm sitting there in on my hard, really hot metal bench in the sun with all of these people. And that word came to my mind, press in, be brave, have fun. And tears came to my eyes. And I had this intimate moment with God in the midst of all these other people. And it just so touched my heart. And I wiped my tears away and I thought, okay, I can do this. (laughs) I'm gonna press in, I'm gonna be brave, I'm gonna have fun. And if I'm really honest, that looked like opening a beer at noon on a Sunday, (laughs) having that made friends with all the guys around us. One of the guys passed out about halfway through the race, so didn't get to know him super well, but that's okay. But we talked about the race and the drivers and we had a great time. And my driver that I had bet on in the family pool, he came in second, so that was great. So it was fun. So this, for me, stewarding prophetic words, it's knowing what God thinks about me knowing what God wants me to do in this season of my life. And the Indy 500 is not a super spiritual place, let me tell you. But for me, God met me. And I had an encounter with him and I was able to go through that day and have a great time. He cares about us. He cares about us even when we're at the Indy 500. So that's value number one, be a student of God. Value number two is be true to your personality. We were all made differently. I'm not gonna spend time with God the same way that you're gonna spend time with God. For me, I love rainbows. I just love rainbows. I love rainbow colors. I think colors look weird when they're by themselves. I like them all together. And so for me, when I read my Bible, I have rainbow pens and I underline things in different colors and the pages become really colorful and it just lights me up inside. And that's how I like to spend time with God. But that's me. I love a good multicolored spreadsheet. I love to-do lists. I love to check things off. For me, that's great. 
For some of you, that might feel like oppressive and terrible if you had to spend time with God that way. We need to spend time with God the way that we were created to spend time with God. God didn't create robots. Our personality matters. He doesn't want us all to read our Bible for an hour every day and then journal exactly two pages and then he's happy. He wants us to spend time with him in a way that lights us up, that opens us up to have a relationship with him. If for you, if that looks like hiking and praying, do that. If it looks like meditating on scripture, do that. If you wanna know where I got my rainbow pens, come see me, I'll tell you, do that. We had a staff meeting, I think it was back in January or February. We were talking about spending time with God and they gave each of us a note card and said that we had to write one of our favorite ways to spend time with God on the note card. And then we were gonna go around the circle and share. And if somebody said your way of spending time with God, you had to cross it out and write a new one. Like nobody could have the same answer. And it was really interesting to hear how our staff likes to spend time with God. They do it in a lot of creative ways. But then the kicker was we had to put them all in the basket and pick somebody else's out of the hat and then do spend time with God that way. So Lori likes to spend time with God by swimming laps at the Y and going over her scripture that she's memorized. And so Tyler pulled that one out and, and it was the middle of winter and he didn't have access to a pool. So I think his plan was to float in the bathtub or something. <laughs> And then somebody who wasn't musical pulled out one that said like, I like to sit at the piano and spontaneously worship and sing whatever comes to mind. And so they had to try and give it a shot. But the point is there are hundreds of ways that we could spend time with God. We can be creative. We can do things that speak to our personality in the way that we were made. So how do you spend time with God? Does it correlate with your personality? Have you noticed a change in your relationship with God? Have you noticed that you feel closer to him after spending time with him? If it isn't really working, maybe change it up. The other thing is I wanna urge you to look at the expectations you have in your mind for how spending time with God has to look. Like if you think that you have to wake up at 6 a.m. to read your Bible, otherwise it doesn't count, and you're a night owl, like, I could never do that. I would sleep through my time with God every morning. For me, I like to spend time with God about mid-morning, about 9.30, 10 o'clock when I'm awake, I'm dressed, the dishes are done, things are kind of checked off my to-do list already, and then I can really focus and engage with God. Maybe for you, it's after dinner or right before bed. I don't think there's a holier time of day to spend time with God. All right, so be true to your personality. Value number three, be sensitive to your season. We all go through seasons in our lives and seasons in relationships. My husband Grant and I have gone through different seasons of how we like to spend time together. And for a while, we like to really play cards. We would put the kids to bed, we'd get a snack and we'd play cards. We stopped playing checkers because one fateful night, he beat me 14 times in a row. And so we decided it wasn't healthy for our marriage to play checkers anymore. And I actually got rid of the checker set, like, <laughs> like no longer existed in our home. 
And then other seasons, like right now, we're really enjoying spending time on the, our new, we got a new house about a year ago, on our new back porch. And the kids run and play after dinner and he and I can sit and have a conversation. And for us in this season of life, when we're so busy, that's just really life-giving for us. So how you spend time with God might change depending on the season that you're in. It's okay for it to flex and change how it looks. When I was a young mom and I had three tiny children I was trying to keep alive, my time with God was like when I was standing in the shower because it was the only time I was alone. And alone is a loose term because there's usually a baby like outside the shower curtain crying, you know, but I was kind of alone. And so that was the time that I had with God. Now that my kids are older, it's different and that's okay. But beyond the season of our lives or how our schedules kind of dictate things, there are also seasons that God might be working on a specific character trait in you. When I was working my way through the whole Bible that first time, God was trying to build discipline in me. He really challenged me, will you do this? I will meet you, but can you do this? And I gotta tell you, it wasn't always easy and it wasn't always fun, but he was building that discipline in me. And now it's there, I have it. That's, that particular discipline is there, I have it. Other seasons, it felt like he was really trying to teach me how to be silent, how to be still. Didn't really enjoy that season a whole lot. Now, other times it was like, all he wanted me to do was worship. Worship in the car, worship while I'm cooking dinner, worship while I'm in the shower, just worship. And he was teaching me about that. So there might be different things that God wants to teach you and consequently your time with him might need to look different for that season. And that's okay. The important thing here is that we want to follow God's leading. We want to be in communication with God about what he's doing, about what's going to be the most fruitful in this season of our lives. And I really think once we get some consistency, and I'm not talking about you have to do it at the same time every day in the same place. I'm not talking about that. But once we get like a consistency in our lives with spending time with God, I think that's where we can really throw some variety in and mix it up a little bit. Like if you've read a Psalm, a chapter of the Old Testament and a chapter of the New Testament every day for 15 years, change it up a little bit maybe. Like it, you might, it might propel you into a different season of new growth, but that's something for you to discern individually with God. And some of the seasons don't feel great, like I shared before, but seeds are being planted. And so you just have to discern with God, is this something you're doing in me and I need to stick it out and persevere for the long haul? Or do I need to change things up right now so that our time together is better? So be sensitive to your season. Lastly, ultimately, we want to go after a healthy relationship with God. That's the goal. Relationships that we don't care for typically don't survive or thrive, they just aren't vibrant anymore when we're not caring for them in an intentional way. So we might have to make some sacrifices to spend time with God. That's just a part of it. We make sacrifices for other relationships all of the time. My best friend Sarah is here. 
She flew down to Miami this January when my son had a medical emergency. She sacrificed her time and flew to Miami to be with me. That spoke, I mean, and that's just kind of what we do. <laughs> that's what we've done. But it speaks volumes to how much she cares about me, how much she values me, that she was able to sacrifice that time with her family and her job and everything that she had to do to spend time with me. When we sacrifice, it almost makes it that much more worth it. So what do we need to sacrifice to spend time with God? Maybe you do need to wake up a little earlier. Maybe you do need to go to bed a little later. Maybe you only watch two episodes on Netflix instead of three. Like there are lots of ways that we could sacrifice and find little pockets of time or big pockets of time to spend time with God. So I think that there are a couple things in marriage that kind of relate to our relationship with God and maintaining a healthy relationship. So in marriage, the first is communication. If you're not communicating with your spouse, you might have some problems in your marriage. Things are probably going to arise if you are not having great communication. You need to have a foundation of trust and honesty. Fundamentally, you have to be able to trust your spouse and you have to be able to be honest with them. If that's not there, problems are going to start to surface after a certain amount of time. And lastly, expressions of love. If you're not communicating your love or expressing your love to your spouse or your affection or your devotion or the fact that you like them and enjoy spending time with them, if you're not able to express that, there's gonna be some problems that might come up. Now, if you have communication, trust and honesty and, and expressions of love, your marriage is probably in a great shape. Those aren't like a guarantee, but I can pretty much guarantee you that if you don't have those three, your marriage is probably not in a good place. So let's relate that to our relationship with God. Communication. We need to have communication with God. How do we communicate? Prayer. Prayer at its very essence, at its root, is just talking to God, communicating with God. You talking to him, you listening for him to talk to you. We have to have communication. If you're not praying, problems are going to come up in your relationship with God. We have to keep an open line of communication between our heart and his heart. Secondly, our relationship with God also has to be based on truth. There has to be a foundation of truth in our relationship with God. Where do we find truth? Right here. This is truth. If you're not spending any time in the word of God, problems are gonna come up in your relationship with God. They're gonna arise. This is our truth. You know who else is the truth? Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our relationship with God has to be centered around Jesus and his sacrifice. Then lastly, expressions of love or adoration, that's worship. That's worship. That's us telling God that we love him. There's something that happens when we take foundational truths and we pair them with music and we get to sing them. There's something that happens. There's a depth to that experience that we don't get just by speaking. We need to spend time worshiping God. There is something that happens when we come together as a body of believers. Don't hear me say you need to be in this church every Sunday because last Sunday I was at the Indy 500. But <laughs> coming to church and being together with a body of believers and worshiping God as a body, that's important. 
in our relationship with God. Private worship is also important. Do you ever listen to worship music in the car or in the shower while you're cooking dinner? Worshiping God is important. Now, there are lots of other things that we could say are essential to a healthy marriage or essential to a healthy relationship with God. This is surely not an exhaustive list, but it's a good place to start. In our relationships with God, we want to be intentional that we are praying, we are in the word, and we are engaging in worship, both corporate and individually. You know, a healthy relationship to me implies that there's some level of intentionality, Healthy relationships don't just happen. And I had a haphazard relationship with God for a long time. Today, I feel like reading Psalms. And I'm going to read five Psalms and call it a day. Then maybe two weeks would go by before I would spend time with God. Then I'd say, oh, I'm going to listen to some worship music in the car. And then maybe a month would go by. I think I'll read Philippians today. And it was just very haphazard. Relationships don't grow and they don't thrive when things are just done haphazardly. We need to have some intentionality in our relationship with God. So to wrap this up, how should we spend time with God? We should be students of God. We should be true to our personalities. We should be sensitive to the season that we're in. And we should pursue a healthy relationship with God. Why? Because we're going after intimacy with God. We want to be intimate with him from our truest self in the truest place that we're in. The cool thing about intimacy is that it operates in a cyclical fashion. Like we spend time with God, we get to know more about him. So we want to spend more time with him. And we spend time with him and we learn more about him. And it just keeps going and going and going. In 1 John 4:19 it says we love because he first loves us, loved us. The love that we have for God is reciprocal. It starts with him and then we spend time in his presence, in his word, communicating with him, worshiping him. That's how we get to know him. That's how we get to understand him. That's how we have experiences with him. I found a quote that says, knowledge of God must precede a reciprocal love for God because we can't really understand the love of God unless we understand a lot of things about God that are revealed in his word. You can't love someone you don't know. And I would say, you can love someone you don't know, but you can't really love them well. I want to love God well. I want to know him so I can love him well. Because that's the goal, to fall more in love with him. That's true intimacy, to know and be known and to love and be loved. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you want to be known, that it is your heart's desire that we know who you truly are at the core of your being, that you are love you are righteous, you are just. That when we seek you, God, that we will find you, that you want to be found. God, I pray that you would speak to us right now in this room, in this place, that you would drop thoughts or pictures or words into our mind of how you would like to spend time with us. Not as a group, but very individually that you would speak to us right now about how you would love to spend time with us.
God, I pray that you would provide pockets of time that appear miraculously where we can spend time with you and where it occurs to us that we could spend time with you in that pocket of time that pops up. I pray that you would protect our bodies, our minds, and our hearts as we start to seek spending time with you intentionally. Open our eyes to our personalities, to how you made us. Open our eyes to what season we're in. God, thank you that you pursue us. You are intentional with us. Help us to be intentional with you. We love you. Thank you. Amen.